From COK Studios in Renee Montaigne's Manger, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. On today's show, we'll consider more of the best of Consider Our Knowledge from the second half of 2015. We already did the best of the first half of 2015, so these are some of our favorite segments from the second half of the year. We hope you enjoy listening to this clip show. We'll be back next week with some actual new material. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from All Rings Considered, a jewelry emporium with the perfect engagement ring for your special someone who works at NPR, and the Rainbow Sunflower Dog Training and Wellness Center, now enrolling for fall semester classes. Facing our fear of the mailman, playing dead, an existential crisis, and new tricks for old dogs. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Dinah Jones-Mallow. The 2016 presidential candidates have been openly trying to court minority voters, some with more success than others. The GOP candidates remain woefully behind their Democratic counterparts when it comes to relating to and wooing women, Hispanics, African Americans, and the LGBT community. These groups will be key to anyone seeking their party's nomination. Here with us to discuss how the candidates are playing to minorities are LGBT correspondent Trevin Motley and our very own intern Ryan Shattuck, who is doing his first on-air report here on COK. Thank you both for being here. Thanks! I'm so excited to finally get on the air. This is a dream come true. Hi, Dinah. Trevin, let's start with you. How are these candidates appealing to minority voters? Well, the Republicans are a hot mess. They literally haven't done anything right so far. Hillary Clinton does a nice job saying the right things, but she comes across a bit phony or insincere to many voters who don't already support her. Bernie Sanders is doing the best because he really talks the talk and walks the walk. He still looks like your crazy uncle, though, so that's working against him. I see. Ryan, I was wondering, could you get me a cup of coffee? I can, but I'm here today to do my report, Miss Mallow. I spent like 15 hours going through all of the candidates' speeches and ads. <laughs> Cream and sugar would be great. Ooh, if you're going, I would love a pumpkin spice latte. But, but I... just hurry back and we'll ask you about the campaigns. Fine. He's kind of moody today. I know. Anyway, what are the candidates' ads doing to project a message of inclusion for minorities? I'm not sure. Uh, Ryan, the intern, was doing that research. Oh, well, let's just play the first ad. This one is from Hillary Clinton. I know what it's like to feel like an outsider. Even when I was on the inside, there were things that separated me from the rest. My gender, my age, my hairstyles, my cankles. These are not things that one simply overcomes without some difficulty. Like so many of you, I want to make sure that everyone gets to have their voice heard. Don't let the GOP treat you like they treated me and my email preferences or my meaty calves. Stand with me and I will help you achieve great things. Not first female president great, but still pretty good. I'm Hillary Clinton and I approve this message. Paid for by Kinkles for a Free America. I can see how that message comes off as a bit insincere. It's just that she always somehow makes it about herself. Very true. What are some of the GOP candidates doing, if anything? Honestly, the Republican candidate that wins will be the one minority voters hate the least. They'll be like the valedictorian of summer school. What do their ads sound like? 
I'm not sure. Here's one the intern found. Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush. All of these candidates have pandered to minority voters. Why would you want to be pandered to by these lightweights when you can be insulted by a billionaire? When Donald Trump is president, you Mexicans, women, and other weird little groups will be thanking him. Thanking him for the honor of being mentioned at all by the most powerful man in the world. Perhaps the most powerful man ever. Donald Trump isn't looking out for you, but he is insulting you, and that's about to be one of our nation's highest honors. Vote Trump, losers. Watch out, here I come. Paid for by minorities wanting to be insulted. That's quite a different approach. I know. Thank you for the report today, Trevin. Wait, wait, Miss Mallow, Mr. Motley, I'm back. I'm ready to talk about the campaign ads now. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. We just finished up. Good research, though. It's Ryan. Oh, yeah, really good work. But it was my day to be on air. Oh, I'm sorry. We just really needed that coffee. Good job on that, too. But what about all the good stuff I wrote? Next time. Oh, and I think Connor and Fritz wanted coffee, too. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. That was COK's Trevin Motley and Brian the Intern. It's Ryan! Pope Francis will make his first visit to the United States as pontiff later this month, and enthusiasm for his arrival is being felt by both Catholics and non-Catholics alike. Throughout his time as Pope, he has made many progressive pronouncements. His statements on gays and lesbians income inequality, and abortion have earned Francis many fans outside of the Roman Catholic Church. Many also praise the Pope for talking about the problems of the world's poor and for living in a modest apartment as opposed to the usual Vatican splendor. Cordell Nutbrock investigated what Americans are saying about Francis ahead of his visit and how his bold words are having an impact. In February, a poll by the Pew Research Center showed Pope Francis's approval rating at 74% among white Protestants and 68% among people with no religious affiliation at all. This month, when the Pope goes to Philadelphia for the World Meeting of Families, he will meet some of those people who are seeing the papacy in a whole new way. Oh, I think he's great. He's just so down to earth. He's the kind of pope you could just sit down and have a glass of Chardonnay with while he washes your feet and asks you about your day. Patty Simcox is one of the non-Catholics that is excited for Francis's arrival. He's breaking down so many barriers that have driven people away from the Catholic Church. He's modern. He sees the way the world is headed and is trying to cultivate a message of love and acceptance. Well, do you plan to try and see the Pope when he comes to Philadelphia? Oh, yeah. He's staying over at my neighbor's house, the Johnsons. They're old friends of Francis. They're going to have a little block party when he gets in town. It's a potluck, so I'm going to bring my famous artichoke dip in a bread bowl. The bread bowl symbolizes the body of Christ, and the artichoke dip is so good it'll make you want to die for our sins. Staying true to his humble roots, Pope Francis will be staying at the home of his old friends, Dan and Annette Johnson, in a suburb of Philadelphia. This will allow him to save money and get in touch with regular, hard-working Americans like Patty Simcox. The Pope has been invited to the U.S. many times, but this time worked out best. His old friends, Dan and Annette Johnson, are graciously allowing him to stay in their guest room on the fold-out sofa. 
Vatican aide Father Paolo Marconi says that it's silly for Pope Francis not to come for a visit when he has a free place to stay. All His Holiness will have to cover is his airfare, because his meals are covered by the conference. I'm sure he'll take the Johnsons out to dinner as a thank you, but other than that, it's a very affordable trip. To stay connected to the common man, Father Marconi says that the Johnsons are planning lots of fun activities to do while he's staying with them. In addition to the block party, they will likely take a trip to the mall by their house and visit Dan at his office. Local Catholics are being inspired by Pope Francis as well. Bernie Pignatelli owns a store that sells religious goods in Philadelphia. Oh yeah, we love him. Ever since he became Pope, our store has been jumping. We've doubled our profits here at Our Lady of Perpetual Discounts. Well, what kind of things have you been selling a lot of? Pictures of the Pope, statues, Pope Mobile matchbox cars, you name it, we got it. The top selling item right now is Pope on a Rope. It's a great unscented soap that'll help you wash your sins away. Do you plan to have any special items for the Pope's visit? Oh yeah, I got some great stuff. I don't want to give away too much, but uh, we got these Pope Francis mini communion wafers with cheddar cheese and peanut butter, and uh, we got some really fun uh, glow stick crucifixes. Well, given all of this support, it seems as if everyone is ready to embrace Pope Francis when he comes to visit later this month. However, some would still like to see him back up his words with actions that continue the Catholic Church's march into the 21st century. For COK News, I'm Cordell Nutbrock in Philadelphia. You're listening to Consider Our Knowledge. In the biggest find yet in a project to map the landscape near Stonehenge, researchers have found a row of up to 90 standing stones, some of them nearly 15 feet tall. The huge stone assembly is less than two miles from Stonehenge, and scientists say it could be as old or older than the famous monument. Dinah chatted with Sir Miles Dugray Scott, who is on the team of researchers. Sir Miles, we're so glad you could join us today. I'm happy to be here. Your team found the remains of a major new prehistoric stone monument, less than three kilometers from Stonehenge. Tell us about it. Well, using cutting-edge multi-sensor technology, we've revealed evidence of a large stone monument hidden beneath the bank of the Durrington Wall's Superhenge. How does this compare with other henges you've worked on? Oh, it's quite the henge. We don't think there's any henge quite like this henge anywhere else in the world. Describe the henge, if you would. Certainly. This new henge has 90 standing stones, which is remarkable. As henges go, it could be contemporary with the famous Stonehenge Sarsen Circle or an even earlier henge. We just don't know how old of a henge it is at this point. What is Sarsen? It's a type of sandstone block that's been found around that region in England and is good for henge building. Is that what henges are typically made of? Yes, that's correct. My colleagues and I in the Henge Hunters Henge Fund also discovered a shadow stone henge less than 3,000 feet from the famous henge when we saw a telltale flange sticking out of a hedge. You found an underground henge sticking out of a hedge? Not me. My colleague Reg tripped on a flange sticking out of the hedge and hit his head on the henge. I see. And last year, we found 17 other ritual monuments in the same area. Were any of those monuments henges? Indeed they were. There were many henges hidden behind hedges. It's truly remarkable that there are so many henges in such a small area. Hence, we can conclude that these early people were henge builders, but we still don't know enough about them. Why henges? 
Henges have a special significance, but the discovery of all the new henges makes it even more unclear as to what the henges were used for and who built the henges. Do you think uncovering this latest henge will help you solve the mystery surrounding Stonehenge and the other henges? We hope so. Henge. Sir Miles, good luck with your henges. Thank you very much. For updates on Sir Miles' team and their henge discoveries, visit henge.org or download their mobile app, iHenge. Now we turn to our music series, Consider the Sound. This week, we're very lucky to have an interview with Grammy and Oscar-winning singer Adele, whose new album, 25, comes out on November 20th. Hello, the first single from her new album, marked her return to music after a three-year hiatus, being her first release since Skyfall in 2012. Adele sat down with our own Trevin Motley, who is admittedly an Adele mega-fan, to discuss her return to making music. Adele joins us today from a studio in London, and I literally couldn't be more excited to talk to her. Adele, welcome to Consider the Sound. Adele? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Sure thing, love. Oh my God, it's really you. It sure is. Glad to be with you. So this new album, 25, you've been working on it for a while? Oh yeah. I had a bit of writer's block, but then me and my producer, Greg Kirsten, started working. It took us six months to get that one track down, but I think it's a great song. The rest of the album too. Once we started working, it all pulled right out of me. It's a great song. And a video was absolutely gorgeous. Talk a bit about it if you would. Why are you talking like that? Like what? Like me. What? I, I, I'm not talking like you, love. You are, and you just did it again. I'm sorry, I, I don't know what's wrong. I, I just find your accent super charming. Well, could you stop? I will try. I'm so sorry, love. You're still doing it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm good now. So, tell us about that brilliant video for your song, Hello. Really? I'm sorry, I feel terrible. Is there someone else that I can talk to? Our gossip reporter Melissa Reynolds is here, love. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Can, can you interview Adele for me? Adele? Totes. Hey, Adele. Hello, love. Is that weird man gone? Yeah, he ran into the bathroom crying. Poor baby. That was just weird. So let's get on with it. Okay, so Adele, tell us about 25. It's all about my frame of mind at that time, becoming a mother and that. One of my main inspirations was Madonna's album, Ray of Light. I just love that one and that song, Frozen. Oh yeah, Madonna is just great. Wait, are you talking like me now? No way, I'm just talking like me. Cheerio. Are you making fun of how I talk? No, honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't help it, love. That's it, I'm done. You lot can just sod off. No, wait, we don't want to sod off. We We love love you, Adele. Adele. Please Please don't don't go. go. We're We're sorry. That was Trevin and Melissa's interview with singer-songwriter Adele. For more Consider the Sound, go to considerourknowledge.com, okay, love? Great, now I'm doing it. That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. If you'd like more from the best-looking news team in public radio, visit our website, considerourknowledge.com, for more award-winning news and stories. You can also get breaking news from us on Twitter, at ConsiderOurKnow, 
and you can like us on Facebook. You can download the podcast at iTunes and at Stitcher Radio at Stitcher.com. The COK team includes Emily Clausen, Marianne Wetzel, Jeremiah Knight, Hobart Willis, Natalie Thorpe, Spencer Cannon, and Libby Mitchell. Our intern is Ryan Shattuck. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. Yeah,